Muscles with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to episode 168 of the Robots Podcast. My name is Jana and in this episode, our interviewer Ron van der Klee speaks to Professor Geoffrey Spink of Wollongong University about his team's work on artificial muscles. But first, let's get updated on what's been happening in robotics with Christine. Thank you, Jana. Tesla Motors, an American company that manufactures and sells electric cars, has announced plans to add more self-driving features to their vehicles. The announcements around the new dual-motor Model S involve features that are similar to what can already be found in cars from Mercedes, Audi and a few others. Namely, advanced driver assistance systems and the combination of lane-keeping and adaptive cruise control to provide a hands-off cruise control where you must keep your eyes on the road. However, one notable feature demonstrated by Tesla is automatic lane change, which you trigger by hitting a turn signal. CEO and co-founder Elon Musk says, Even though the car could drive itself, the levels of redundancy are not there for full autonomy. We're essentially going to push the limits of what's safe with this hardware and what's available with the current regulations. This fall, the Japanese government held its first meeting of a new panel focused on its goal of a robotics revolution, a key item in the government's economic growth strategy adopted in June. The panel is tasked with promoting measures to increase the use of robots and related technologies in various fields, extending out of the manufacturing sector and into hotel, distribution, medical and elderly nursing care services. According to Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who instigated the robot panel, determining the appropriate use of robots will be a key to solving these problems. The government said Japan will double its robot-related market to 1.2 trillion yen, which is 11.3 billion US dollars or 8.9 billion euros by 2020 in the manufacturing sector and achieve a 20-fold jump in the non-manufacturing sector, also to 1.2 trillion yen. The panel will work out a five-year plan to be presented by the end of 2014, with details on how they will achieve the numerical targets. For more information about self-driving cars and robotics in government, visit robohub.org. Professor Geoffrey Spinks is an Australian Research Council Professorial Fellow. His research interests focus on new materials and nanotechnology, and he specialises in the development and application of materials for artificial muscles. His team are able to produce artificial muscles from nylon fishing line that can contract by half their length. These can generate forces that are over a hundred times larger than our own muscles and produce a mechanical power output of over 5 kilowatts per kilogram. That's similar to a jet engine. Our interviewer Ron spoke to Professor Spinks about the potential of these artificial muscles to create cheap, simple and lightweight actuators for robotic arms. 
Good afternoon, Dr. Spinks. If I can first get you to introduce yourself to the podcast listeners. My name's Jeff Spinks. I'm a professor of materials engineering and nanotechnology at the University of Wollongong. And my particular research interests are in the areas of artificial muscles. Fishing line as a muscle fibre. Sounds like a novel idea. What makes its properties attractive to you as a material scientist? Well, we came across the idea of using fishing line for artificial muscles after quite a long journey. We'd actually spent a long time looking at a lot more exotic materials like uh, carbon nanotubes. And what we learnt from those studies of the carbon nanotube materials was that, well, in fact, a lot simpler solutions existed in, in humble fishing line. And that's really where we ended up and were able to make the discovery that we could produce really high-performing artificial muscles from ordinary polymer fibres like nylon fishing line and polyester sewing thread. But the, the genesis of all this work was some more fundamental studies we were doing with uh, carbon nanotubes and conducting polymers that stretches back a, or a decade or more. So I believe there's a process involved in altering the mechanical properties of the fishing line to making it useful as a muscle fibre. Can you describe that to us? The process of making these artificial muscles is extremely simple. It's in fact something that you can do at home and I've done it with my teenage son as a demonstration for his high school chemistry class. All you need to some fishing line or some sewing thread, hang a weight off the bottom just to give it some tension, then attach the other end of the thread to something like an electric drill, turn the drill on and start rotating. We make sure that the weight can't spin around, so it's only twisting at one end. After a, a while, the amount of twist we've put into the fibre causes it to start forming coils, something that's been known for a long time, the over-twist and generation of coils. And if you keep on twisting, then eventually the whole fibre becomes a, a spring-like coil. At this stage, it's what the textile people call lively, and that is if it were, if we let it go, you know, it would elastically recover and produce a tangled ball of mess. But if we hold it in the coiled state and then apply some heat, for example, from a hot air gun or even a hairdryer, or put it in an oven, uh, that can heat set the fibre into that coiled shape. Now, at that stage, it's no longer lively; it, it won't untwist if we let it go. So, what we can do then is, is uh, attach another weight this time to stretch out the coil and now if we heat it we find that the coil contracts in length and that process of contraction can be used to to do mechanical work or to act as an artificial muscle the, the uh, so that process is extremely simple it's just a case of of twisting up the fiber and heat setting it and, and there you have your muscle from the laboratory demonstrations that I've seen, has your team been able to develop a muscle application module as yet? In terms of applications, all we've really been able to do in the short time since we, we discovered these new materials is develop a few demonstration prototypes. Well, really, there's two areas. One is to use passive heat, say from ambient or waste heat sources to cause contraction of the muscle. And and one area we think that that might be useful is to open vents, say in buildings, to allow the the building to cool down. Uh, The other area that we've been looking at has been to take these fibres and weave them into fabrics and there we use the some active heating usually electrical heating to contract the fabric and one application area that we're looking to use that technology is a active massaging garment we've got interest from our medical research colleagues to use these garments for massage treatment for conditions like lymphedema which is the swelling of the arms that some people suffer 
Coming back to it as an application of a muscle fibre, what kind of response times would we be looking at? The response times is essentially as fast as we can get the heat into the material. That's how quickly it responds. So it's a heat conduction and heat transfer problem. And in very thin fibres, we've been able to achieve heating rates in well less than a tenth of a second, for example. The more difficult problem is getting the heat out. But again, in thin fibres, even passive cooling means that they can cool down in well under a fraction of a second. But if we scale up to thicker fibres, say a millimetre diameter, then the cooling time can be several seconds. So it's, it's very much a case of getting the heat in and the heat out in terms of response times. Can this type of actuator be used as a human muscle replacement? Is that viable? Well, the viability of using these materials as a replacement for natural muscle is more a problem of the safety issues and the the biocompatibility. And of course, we've got the main problem here that our muscles are heat activated. So typically, we would need to heat the fibre to at least 50 or 60 degrees Celsius to get any appreciable contraction. And of course, that's not going to be safe for an internal use in the body. So what we are looking for as a longer term solution are these kinds of fibre muscles that do not require heat for activation. After all, all the heat is doing is is providing a thermal expansion for the material. But there are other ways to expand a material that do not require heat. And if we can use those techniques in an efficient way, then we have the possibility of producing a a system that is safe to be used as an implantable device. And then, you know, we do have a technology to replace injured or damaged muscle. From what I've read, you pointed out that the muscle fibres would have a hundred times the capability of human fibres. If the heating problem is overcome, are we talking about the possibility of cyborg enhancing capabilities or am I speaking beyond its uses? (laughs) Look, I think that's sort of the, uh, I guess, one of the ethical questions. Uh, I think the technology is possible that, you know, we we could see uh, uh, systems that are either wearable, you know, like exoskeleton type robotic systems or indeed implantable that replace our own or augment our own muscle function and then it should be possible to actually exceed our own capabilities. Uh, One of the questions, of course, is should we do that? You know, is that an ethical thing to do to produce superhuman cyborgs? That uh, remains to be answered. From what I have read, your material would be able to outdo a lot of actuators used in robotics today and yet mimic human fibres to some characteristics. Well, matching the performance of natural human muscle is, is a major challenge. When you look at all the characteristics that make natural muscle such a wonderful machine, you've got really large and fast movement that quite good efficiencies, but also it's self-repairing. It has quite a long operating lifetime and it's a silent operation so for a lot of reasons it's really ideal actuator probably the thing that natural muscle doesn't perform so well in is actually the stress generating or force lifting capability it seems like that muscle has given away the ability for strength in return for large and fast movements and silent operation and reasonable efficiency but you put all those things together and I don't think we're still yet able to match natural muscle in, in all of those capabilities. For our example, our fishing line artificial muscles fairly close to matching the a range of movement and the speed of natural muscle. 
the fishing line muscles greatly exceed the force lifting capability of, of natural muscle. But, and here's the, the big problem at the moment, or one of the problems, and that is our efficiency of converting heat energy to mechanical energy output is quite low and muscle is much more effective at converting chemical energy from food into mechanical energy. So, you know, we've still got a long way to go to match all those attributes of natural muscle. Nevertheless, it sounds pretty exciting. Oh, yes, we are very excited and there's certainly lots of real applications. The efficiency is not a huge problem. I mean, it can always be better, but there are already applications where we can get away with reasonably low efficiency. You have already stated some of the applications. Are they more to You know, the applications seem endless. It's almost a case of the next person you talk to has another idea about where they might be used. And I think that they all sort of come down to the situation where conventional motors or hydraulics and similar systems are limited. So that's in the case where you have very small space available or you need silent operation. And there are many applications then that in those categories that really require a mechanical motion and there it's possible to use artificial muscles instead of the more conventional system so it really is i think a case of waiting and seeing where next applications come from but you know i I think we'll probably be surprised where they'll be because there seems to be an endless number of different potential application areas given what i have seen in robotics where there is a push to create an artificial arm most arms rely on mechanical motors to drive cables to control finger movements. Space and weight always seem to be a problem, and the amount of torque generated seem to limit the grip applied. Does this mean that your device could overcome this limitation? I think so. We, in fact, we're about to launch into a, a project where we, we're going to look at using these fishing line artificial muscles in a prosthetic hand device. And we at least want to explore what the limitations are in in that particular configuration. The, the hope is that we can just use the if you think about the muscle tendon system of our own hands, that we can actually just use the tendon length uh, as the artificial muscle because we are actually dealing with fibrous materials as the artificial muscle. So if we can uh, actually get those into that volume and space and have them producing the full range of movement and force, then we've got the possibility of either packing in more muscles for increased force or putting in more muscles for extra dexterity and and both of those attributes would be very useful in the in the prosthetic and uh, robot hand grippers type of application areas what is the power to weight ratio for your device versus hydraulics or motorized systems is this uh, too early to compare as yet uh look i think in terms of of uh, scale up and scale down, we we have actually looked at the theory, and in terms of uh, mechanical work output, it scales uh, both up and down. So you don't lose if you make a thicker fibre or a thinner fibre. But the issue is that with thicker fibres, if you want to go for larger forces, for example, then the response time is dramatically reduced. So then the power output consequently is a lot lower. So if if the objective is a high power to weight ratio, it would be small 
small diameter individual fibres or lots of small diameter uh, fibres that are in parallel arrays would be the best way to go. So, yes, you you are right. There is a certain range where it would be uh, optimised and it seems that that would be in in the smaller dimensions. You describe the fibres being used as a woven material that can be used for massage but its characteristics at lower temperatures could be useful as a garment to, say, protect you in changing environments from, say, hot to cold. Well, the, actually, that's a really good point that we'd like to pursue as well, and that is that if we can use the ambient heat or cold to trigger the muscle contraction or expansion, then we have demonstrated that you can change the porosity of woven textiles and that might be very useful in, say, protective garments for firefighters, for example. If they're exposed to extreme heat, then the clothing can become more thermally protective and that's, of course, what you need in the case if there's uh, high temperatures around. But sort of in everyday situations where it's cooler, the same garments can then open up and be more comfortable to wear. So I think it does really open up some intriguing possibilities of how we might add an extra dimension to the clothing that we wear. I guess in the first instance, it would be for the um, emergency services and perhaps the military. But who knows, maybe these can even be designed for for sports people or even for everyday wear so that we can uh, manage our own thermal temperature more readily with with our clothing. And in conclusion, I would like to thank you on behalf of the podcast, Dr. Spinks, for providing the time to chat about this most interesting discovery. No problem at all, Ron. It's good talking to you. And that's all for today. Check out our website at robotspodcast.com for more information about Professor Spinks' work and all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Muscles with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.